It's a year of breakthrough. It's a year where um, things that you have prayed for and believed for for ages, God has heard all that and he's, he's pouring out. I, I spoke last week how I just saw um, lightning strikes of God's goodness. And God led me to that scripture where he said that the coming of Jesus will be like the lightning that can be seen, those strikes in the east can be seen across the sky to the west. And I felt like God saying that the, the kind of breakthroughs we're going to see this year are going to be like those kind of lightning strikes of Jesus coming. It's like visible to all. Amen. How great is that? Um, a statement I made in conclusion in preaching last week was this, that 200, 200. <laughs> I'm in good company if I can't get numbers right. 2017 is a year of breakthrough where his glory will be seen just as the lightning flashes across the sky. Position yourself to receive the full benefit of what he is doing by rekindling your faith in him, loving unwaveringly, and pursuing intimacy with him. Amen. Lord, we just pray and we ask that you would come and um, speak to us this morning, Lord God. We want to be a people that experiences the fullness of your breakthrough, Lord God. Father God, a people who are not ashamed to carry your glory into every area of life, Lord God. We want to be a people that lives in the fullness, the fullness of all the victories of your kingdom, Lord God. And Father God, I pray for each person here that we would hear your word and more than hearing me preach, we would hear you speak to our hearts, Lord God, and we'd be changed by what we hear. And all of God's people said, amen and amen and amen. So today we are continuing our series called Made New. It seems like a good thing to do at the beginning of the year. Would you agree with me? Let's just, let's just start again. God is the God of second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, I know in my case, nearly 50 new beginnings. And I'm so grateful for him, to him that we get to restart, to think about the old and restart the new. And I feel like this is a season where we, where we can examine where we've been and at the same time we can reformulate how we want to move forward. And so in light of the fact that it's being a breakthrough year, one of the things I really want us to get into our hearts is that God can be bringing the most incredible breakthrough. But if we're not there where the breakthrough is happening, it can pass us right by. And so I'm, I'm praying for each and every one of us that we would put our hearts in the right place so that the breakthroughs of God will find us ready. They'll find us waiting. They'll find us with our nets out in the ocean so that the fish can swim in them as he brings the fish past. He, he will find us in faith and ready for something spectacular. Amen. So we are going to be looking at a scripture in Mark, Mark 2, 1 to 12. If you have your Bibles, you can open there. It is true that the more faithfully you open your Bible in church, the more faithfully you're likely to open it outside of church. So let's all just open our Bibles. Should we do that? Open it anywhere. Just enjoy that. Trust that some Bible-opening anointing will infuse your soul. So we're looking at Mark 2, and I'm going to be speaking on preparing for breakthrough, being in the right place. How's that? For breakthrough. The scripture starts, and it says, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. 
I want to give you a little background, if you can just put your finger there, is that it seems likely that Jesus has set up his home in Capernaum. So in other words, he, he had a, a general place of living, an address that his post went to, and that happened to be in Capernaum. This story may have taken place in that house. We, do, we don't know where it was, and I think it's God's mercy that no one knows where it was because the world would be flocking there and making it a shrine. So instead of lifting up Jesus in their hearts, so we, we don't know anything about it. But um, Peter also lived in Capernaum. He, that was his residence. So this home could have been Jesus' home or it could have been Peter's home. But the background to this is that Jesus had been going around that region and he had been praying for people and preaching and he was having tremendous success. People were coming from all over. His fame was spreading. There's a story that happens just prior to this one where he goes ahead and heals a man with leprosy. And he says to this man with leprosy, go, go and tell a priest, but tell no one else. So what does that man do? He goes and tells everyone. In light of that, it says right after that, that Jesus became so famous and so popular that he couldn't even enter towns anymore. And I don't know what would happen if he entered towns. Maybe the crowds would crush one another. Or, and so out of mercy to them, he, it says that he would set up camps, so to speak, outside of the towns. And the crowds would come from the towns to him outside of the towns. And that gives you a little bit of insight for when he... Fed the 5,000 and the 4,000, that this was kind of a way he went about doing things. But nonetheless, he kind of broke protocol in this time, and it says that he actually went into the town. And so what we can expect is we can expect large crowds, because at this time he was drawing people from everywhere. It says even the people from Jerusalem, which was the major city, were coming up to the north of Israel to these tiny little villages, really, and were crowding in and like taking up all the space because they wanted to hear Jesus. And it goes on and it says, so, so many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. In other words, they were just streaming from everywhere. And he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus. And after digging through it, lowered the man. The, sorry, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. And goes on and says, Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? You know, you always get some of these. You know what I'm saying? You have a party, and there's always someone who says, Oh, that was a bad party. You know, everyone else is having a great time, but there's always someone. Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit what this was that they were thinking in their hearts. Isn't Jesus amazing? He's, he seldom asks the question, answers the questions that you ask out loud. But all those questions that are brewing in your heart that you're too afraid to ask, he, he answers and kind of reveals your heart in the answering. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Carrying on, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. 
but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. I love that because you know what? What he's in essence saying is that it's just as easy to say your sins are forgiven as it is to say, get up and walk. Now, I don't know how about how you feel, but if someone came to me and said, I've repented of my sin, am I forgiven? I would find it very easy to say your sins are forgiven because I understand the gospel. It's, you know, it's like if someone says to me, comes to me and says, I'm sick, I find it a lot harder to say just get up and walk. You understand what I'm saying? So Jesus was saying the same swipe of the cross that purchased our salvation, purchased our healing at the same time. And he's saying, in essence, these things are part and parcel of the same atonement. It's all the same thing. So great. So we can be a little bit more confident the next time a sick person is in front of us to declare some healing and some grace to them to overcome. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, you get up and take your mat and go home. <laughs> he, for all you moms here, Jesus likes tidy rooms. You can tell your sons and your daughters this. Even he told them to take up their mat when they went. He, he got up, took up his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Ha! Ah, isn't Jesus just great? You know, what would it have been like to walk with Jesus? Seriously, just think about this. Just think about what it was like to wake up this morning and think, Oh my word, are we going to walk on water today? How many people are we going to feed? Who's going to jump off of the, up off their mats? You know, what kind of cancers are going to fall off people's bodies? What kind of outrageous questions are we going to answer today? I mean, Peter, what am I going to find in the fish's mouth that I fish out? <laughs> you remember that story when Peter couldn't pay his taxes. Jesus told him to go and get a fish, and in the, he fished out a fish, and in this fish was the, the money for his tax. I mean, how would you like to pay your tax like that? I mean, it's just like living with Jesus was just this never-ending parade of delightful stuff. And this whole town knew it. And they were coming to here. They were like, oh, we have to, we have to get at this. And this paralytic man, I guess he heard the stories. We don't know how long he had been sick, but my guess is it wasn't so long because he still had four friends. Because you know when we're sick, it's like for one month, two months, the, the friends stick around. You know, three months, four months, five months, six months. It's like it's getting a bit tedious. But anyway, he still had four friends. But he had heard about this marvelous marvelous miracle worker. And he said to his friends, maybe he said, or maybe his friends said to him, I don't know which way around it was, but we've got to get there. And if we can just get to Jesus, if we can just get to Jesus, something will change. There's a breakthrough in store for this man. If we can just get to Jesus. And I guess that's what the Spirit of God is speaking to all of your hearts today. There's a breakthrough in store for you. Just get to Jesus. But here's the wild thing. Despite their determination to do this really great thing and get their friend to Jesus, they found obstacles in the way. They arrive at the house and the whole town, plus a few other towns, plus all of Jerusalem are there. And they can see Jesus or they can hear Jesus right in the distance, but they can't get to him. 
So they make a plan and they climb up on the roof. And in those days, the roofs were made of um, slats of wood and reed and mud packed on them. And I just, when I heard this, I couldn't work out how they actually kept them up. It just sounds like such a strange way to make a ceiling. But nonetheless, that's how they made them. And they get up there and they think, you know what? There's just this very small barrier between us and Jesus. Let's get through this. Now, let's say this was Peter's home. I just want you to imagine for a moment. He's sitting there with Jesus. He's one of the close ones with Jesus. So he's right there in with him. You know what I'm saying? He's not at the back of the crowd. He's right next to Jesus watching all this. And before you know it, like stuff keeps falling down from the ceiling. Peter's thinking, oh my gosh, I've got to fix that. I've got to fix that. He's trying to listen to Jesus, but keeps getting hit on the head by lumps of clay. Sitting there. Suddenly they look up. Light comes through. Things are stripped away. And this man is lowered down. Now, I don't know how you feel, but I am not in the habit of enjoying my house getting holes in it. I'm sure Peter was extremely irritated. It's like, can't you wait your turn like everyone else at the back of the queue? But what I love about these guys is that they were so determined. They didn't care. They didn't care what Peter was going to think. Or maybe they did care and they just pushed through it anyway. It's like some things are more important than what people think about me. Some things are more important than keeping the status quo. Some things are more important than keeping people happy. And these guys were determined to get there. I don't know how Peter was a week later, you know, sitting watching TV and he's got this big hole in his and the rain's coming through. It must have been quite a... But at least he had that healing to think back on. It's like, all this was worth it. Me sitting in the rain in my own lounge is worth it because someone got healed. But anyway, my first point that I want to make is that in order for this man to get his breakthrough, some structures had to change. Some things had to be different. Some ways of doing things had to be altered. Winston Churchill, who is a very famous leader who took Britain through the Second World War, I believe. It's a long time ago. I wasn't there. But he was, a very, he was a great leader. I'm not entirely sure what his Christian views were, but nonetheless, he, he said some amazing things, and he made this statement, which I really love. He said, to improve is to change. To be perfect is to change often. Yeah. You probably don't have a ceiling to get through to get to Jesus. You understand what I'm saying? You probably don't have to break through a wall. You probably don't have to jump over a crowd. But there are some things in your life, my guess is, that are standing between you and your breakthrough. And you know how I know that's true? Because if there wasn't anything there, you would have had your breakthrough a long time ago. Because God is not the one holding out on you. So if, if the breakthrough has been long in coming, there's likely that God is nudging your heart and saying there need to be some changes. There need to be some alterations to the way you do things. And perhaps you're going to have to dig through a ceiling. And that ceiling looks like making a hole or disrupting or changing the way you set your life up. And perhaps the way you go about your work. Perhaps the way you relate to your family. You know, something God said to me recently at the beginning of this year is that he's asking me 
to change the way I organize my mornings. You know how we all have those those ways of doing things, those set kind of rituals in the morning. Do you have them? You know, your alarm goes off, you turn it off, you go back to sleep. Is that a ritual you have? I don't know. <laughs> I think that's a very common ritual. But then, And only on the fourth time that, the, that it goes off that you actually get up. And I, I just wonder why we don't set it for four times later. You know, but nonetheless. But, you know, we all have things that just feel comfortable. But we do them because we always have done them. I have this jersey that someone gave me many years ago. And I, when I started thinking about how long ago it was, it could even have been 30 years ago. And that really, really dates me. And I'm really, I, I feel embarrassed to almost say that I still have an item of clothing that, that I got 30 years ago. But nonetheless, you can tell what this jersey probably looks like. After 30 years has a few threads that are sticking out in the wrong places. It's, you know, it's like its elbows are just, they have, don't have holes in, but only just. You know, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't hang so well anymore. It kind of hangs at all kind of angles, bits are longer than other bits in it. But, oh, I love this jersey. <laughs> you know, it just makes me, it just makes me feel good. It just fits. You know, when I, places that I have expanded over the years, it's expanded with me. It's great. It's just, yeah, I'm hearing from Georgia, it covers the right things. You know, it just, it, it just, it just works for me. I feel comfortable. I feel safe. I feel cozy in it. And the other day I was, I often put it on when I get home from work, or I have in the past often put it, <laughs> put it on, uh, when I get from home from work, you know, we all have comfort food. You know, it's the food you eat when you want to feel better. We also have comfort clothes, and this is my, my comfort item. And so I was wearing it the other day, and I walked past a mirror, and I caught sight of myself as I walked past the mirror, and I was, I was like, because, you know, you have in your mind a picture of how you look. The mirror told me my picture was wrong. <laughs> and I looked at it, and I was like, this jersey has got to go. You know, I don't care how comfortable I am in it, but it is no longer doing any good for my image. And so, um, yeah, I speak like I still have the jersey. I actually have gotten rid of the jersey now because it just, you know, I, f I feel like I'm better than that, what I saw in that image, and I just need to um, improve on that. But I guess we all have things that just, we've had them so long that they just feel comfortable. I see some wives smiling, and I know your husband has a few of those items of clothing, and you just want to, like, slip them out of, into the dustbin while he's not looking. But you have my permission. You have my permission to do that. But we all have things that are just so comfortable that we can't tell that they no longer work. We can't tell that they no longer perform the function that they originally were there for and that God wants to come and he wants to do like a, a wardrobe change. He wants to change some things. He wants to change the way you do things. So the thing he said to me was about changing my mornings and re rearranging those things that just were so normal for me. Why? So that I could start the day ready for what he was going to do. So I could position myself for the breakthroughs that he was about to bring. And I, I feel like for some of you, that's, 
changing patterns of the way you relate to people, changing patterns of the way you relate to God, changing patterns of the way you even relate to your work, changing some of the things that come out of your mouth. You know, we all have those pet sayings when things go wrong that just are about, oh, how bad this is or how gloomy the future is. I feel like we just need to change things. You know, I also just want to just hit it a little bit of a bugbear of mine. You all remember the good old days. You've heard about the good old days. So your, your mother, your grandmother, they're telling you about those good old days. I just want to tell you those good old days don't exist. Already there are some fantastic things from the past that we don't want to lose and we want to honor and we want to build on. But here's the truth of the kingdom. And this truth is this, that of, his increase, of the increase of his governance and peace, there is no end. That means God is always going from glory to glory. He's always making things better and better. You know, my grandmother used to always tell me about the good old days, how fantastic relationships were, how well everything worked. There were no potholes in the road. I only later discovered there were no roads. It's easy not to have potholes if you don't have any roads. You understand what I'm saying? And, and of course, we've got challenges, and there are a few dips every now and then. But in general, God is, God is at work on the earth to bring about improvement from glory to glory. And as my grandmother told me about those good old days, I, you know, sometimes I would, I would long for them because she made them sound so wonderful. And then I saw a few pictures and I saw the dresses she was wearing and the hairstyle and I was like, oh my gosh, that's not good old days. <laughs> Things that, you know, and, and here's, here's the thing. We really, really want to honor the people who have gone before us. We want to discount any of the victories that have been won. We want to stand on them and move forward. But at the same time, we don't want to hanker after this, this false idea of what was in the past. That, that God is moving us on to something spectacular. We can stand on those victories of the past, looking forward to a future that is good and great and glorious and fantastic. And South Africa has come through some issues. And I've heard people say from time to time, the good old days, guys, can we just throw out that, that sacred cow? And can we just stand on the shoulders of all the people gone before us? Can we look forward to a future that's great and good? Can we, can we link our arms with Jesus Christ and say he is, he's bringing an improvement that's taking us from glory to glory? Yeah, and though we will face obstacles and problems, ultimately we are going to soar on wings of eagles. We're going to, we're going to find ourselves in breakthrough situation after breakthrough situation, and we are going to be even more victorious, and we're going to pass on a legacy to our children where they will stand on the victories that we have, we have accomplished. That feels good to me. Mike's got this habit of doing who ask and it feels so manly and bold. Can we all do that together? One, two, three. Hoo-ah! Thank you. Thank you, Mike, for doing that really loud because my, my voice is a little bit too high-pitched to do it complete justice. There's a scripture in Luke 5 that can be a little bit confusing, but I love it because it makes me feel better about my life all the time. And in verse 7, 37, it starts and it says, And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out, 
and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins, and no one of sorry, and no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for he says the old is better. In other words, Jesus was saying, I understand that you're hankering for the old days, but guess what? The old days are gone. <laughs> and they're never gonna work again, and it's never gonna be like that again. And change feels difficult and complicated. But here in this passage of Scripture, Jesus is inviting us to be excited about the future and to be willing to make the changes, to throw out those old jerseys, to throw out those old ways of doing things where they're no longer working. What he's saying is he's saying that there is a new thing coming for which the old structures will not do, are not adequate. He's saying, I'm bringing my new wine And the way you've always done things will not provide a place where that can be expressed. So I'm asking you to prepare a new place, to expect new things. The places where you've always done what you've always done because you've always done it and you can't even tell why you're doing it anymore. I'm asking you to reevaluate those. And I'm asking you to recreate a system of doing things that will facilitate what I'm doing in your life. And maybe that's changing the way you schedule your mornings. Maybe that's changing the way you schedule evenings. Maybe that's giving up a little bit of television. I'm so sorry. I know that's like a hectic thing to say. I mean, I know I've just bitten at the foundation of your recreation, but maybe it's that. Maybe it's thinking of a new way that you manage your finances. Maybe it's thinking about a new way that you speak about yourself. Maybe it's a new way you speak about this country. Maybe it's a new way you relate to your children. Anger has not created the changes you desired, so how about trying something else? Unfortunately, change feels difficult for us, and it feels difficult for us for a number of reasons. It feels difficult for us because in some way, the old way was comfortable and we felt in control. We understood it. We knew it. And change means a little bit of a loss of a sense of being in control. I've got good news for you. You were never in control in the first place. (laughs) It was all just an illusion. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You thought you were in control. It was just God's grace keeping things together. Psalm 24 verse 1 says this. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who dwell here. In other words, God's in, God's in charge. God's in control. And if our security is based on the fact that we understand everything or that we know everything or that we can control everything, we will live our lives feeling unsafe from start to finish. 
Our sense of safety has got to be in the fact that God is in control. God is in charge. God has a plan for our future, for our families, for our nation, for our finances. The second reason that we could feel reluctant to change things is a loss of certainty. It's like no one knows. I mean, no one enjoys not knowing what's coming. There are a rare few that enjoy the, the sense of surprise. But for the most of us, we want to know. You know, really, I want to say this. I have said it to my family over the years. Please do not throw me a surprise party. I love you. I love you. I love you. But I don't want to arrive at a party dressed in the wrong clothes. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. You know what I mean? You understand me. It's like that, that sense of not knowing, like not being unprepared, like, a, like arriving at a party in, in beachwear. And it's a cocktail party. You know what I'm saying? We, we, we all want a sense of certainty. Like, we want to feel like we know what's happening. and we, We've got it together. We, we prepared. But again, if our, if our sense of security is based on us having it all together, it's never going to happen. Or you will just stay very small and never do anything of any significance. Because we live in an uncertain world. You can control yourself, but you can control no one else. And there is no guarantee that people will respond how you expect them to or the way you want to. I mean, in the majority of cases, they will, but there's no absolute guarantee. There's only one guarantee when I relate to Andrew, that he will be funny. Other than that, there's no guarantee, you know? Oh, yeah, he's saying that he's always loved. I'm not even sure if that's always absolutely true. I've pushed those boundaries a few times. <laughs> and no one's laughing. It's like, what is she saying? No, he still loves me. He still loves me. But there is something we can be absolutely sure of. And this covers every eventuality. The Bible says in Psalm 23, verse 6, it says, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I heard one preacher say this, that if goodness and mercy you're not experiencing in your life, it's because they've been following you, but you've been running so fast that they haven't been able to catch up. <laughs> so the answer is you just stop for a moment and they'll hit you wham, wham in the back. Yeah, so maybe, maybe, maybe it's a call to stop being so busy. I'm not sure. But listen, this is not the word of the Lord. Let's just pass right over that. I'm not quite sure what to make of that. The truth is that goodness and mercy will always follow you. And surely it's not a girl's name. It means absolutely. It's not three ladies. Surely goodness and mercy following you. Some of you single men are going to, going to say, oh, yeah, that's great. <laughs> I'm going to stop and turn around and find out these three Three stunning babes that God's sending after me. He's saying, absolutely, for sure, unstoppable. It cannot be changed. Goodness and mercy are following you. This is the great thing I love about God. I don't know about you, but I've made some mistakes in my life. 
Sometimes I set out on a course of action I was absolutely sure was the Lord. And lo and behold, down the line I discovered it wasn't. And I'd made a mistake. I'd misunderstood something. I presumed on somebody, on something, or even on God. And here I find myself in a dilemma. But guess what? Goodness and mercy followed me there too. Even in the times that you make a mistake or you misunderstand or you don't get it all together or you don't, you find you unprepared, goodness and mercy will follow you there too. God's looked ahead into your future. He's already prepared for everything. And he will arrive in that situation with the goods you need. You might have to backtrack a bit, but that way has already been paved by goodness and mercy. They've already been there. And the next reason we find it hard to change is that we fear a loss of identity. Sometimes identity is so wrapped up, so wrapped up in who we think people think we are, in our image. And we fear doing things differently. We won't know what we, who we are. You know, sometimes our jobs, our families, our, I don't know, superficial things like your wardrobe or your car determine for us the way we feel about ourselves. And we fear some level of change is going to rock those things and we don't know if we will still feel the same. We don't know who we will be in that new situation. But what I love is that the Bible also helps us with that. In Galatians, it talks about the fact that we are children of God and from our innermost beings comes the cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, God. And that He has called us sons and daughters. And that our identity doesn't rest on any external thing. It rests on the fact that inside of us there is a God who calls us by name. There's a God inside of us that says son, daughter. And that means that no matter what I face, no one can rob me of who I am. So the second thing we're going to do after we have... What were we doing? We were changing structures. We're going to build community. You know, I absolutely love the story of this man being dropped through the roof. Because he had four friends that when he was unable to get to Jesus, they were prepared to take him. And this might come as a shock to you, but we will all face times in our life where we are overwhelmed by something. And in that moment, either just emotionally it will be hard to pray or hard to get to Jesus or physically or resource-wise, we won't have capacity to do what we know we need to do. And at that stage, I'm asking you this. Do you have four friends? We'll take the sides of your mat And they will scrape through with their nails, if necessary, the roof of a house to get you to Jesus. They will pray for you. They will get your back. They will provide for you. They will watch over you. One of the primary places you get this is, guess where? Connect groups. Here's my ad for the day.
We have to do what it takes to have friends like that. We have to build deeply with people who know us. We have to open our hearts to people. Even the scary places. You know those places you hardly even admit to yourself? Those thoughts and feelings that run around there? You need at least four people that know even that. People who are committed to you. And the only place you will get it is in Christian community. And places like Connect Group. Where you can be real, sincere, and watch out for one another. But God needs us to build like that. Because the kingdom of God is so relational at its very foundation. God is a relational God and he's calling you into a relationship, but he's also facilitating relationships between you and me. When the spirit of God moves, he moves through people, through relationships. When you say God came, he didn't just come into an empty room. He came because people were there. He came on the back of those relationships. He will come into your life through people, through relationships. When he moves into you, it'll be through relationships. Three interesting things about building community. First of all, it is a kingdom mandate. Acts 2 verse 42 talks about this. It says, the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' preaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They devoted themselves to this devoted themselves to this. What is so great, it also talks about they sold all their positions and shared with everyone. In other words, if anyone who was in need, they took care of one another. It says they met daily in each other's houses. And then it says this, and daily people were added to their number. You want revival? This is how we get it. We build this kind of community. The next thing is it's incapacity insurance. As we've seen with these four men, when there will be a come a time when you are unable to get or do the things you need to do to move forward. It's your community. It's your friends that will stand with you at that time and get you there. There's a fascinating story in 2 Samuel. And it goes like this. There was a king in Israel by the name of David, the greatest king Israel had ever seen. And this king was having a bit of a feud with his son, Absalom. And Absalom had a rebellion against his father. He wanted to take over the kingship of the nation, and he actually wanted to kill his father. And long story, ins and outs, I won't trouble with you right now. But the bottom line is they ended up with David at war with his son, son Absalom. And as they're going out to battle, David says to the commander of his armies, Joab, go out and win the war, but don't touch my son Absalom. Absalom is riding along and he has particularly beautiful hair, apparently. And as he's riding along, his hair gets caught in the branches of a tree. He's riding on a donkey. And the donkey keeps going, and he ends up hanging from the tree from his hair. Wild, crazy, I know, but the Bible's full of stories like this. Joab, who's been specially instructed not to harm Absalom, you know what he did? It says he pierced Absalom's heart with three javelins. Bam, bam, bam. 
And if that wasn't enough, he then had Absalom surrounded by his 10 armor bearers. And it says, and his 10 armor bearers killed Absalom. I don't know how much more dead you are need to be after three javelins have gone through your heart. You understand what I'm saying? But nonetheless, he was dead 10 plus three times. I mean, Absalom, Absalom was killed. I see some expressions on the faces like, oh, what a gruesome story. Yeah, it is gruesome. I, I agree it's gruesome. But what's so nice about the Old Testament is we can just take all those gruesome stories and we can give, put them on the devil. You know what I'm saying? It's just great. But basically, David needed a Joab to kill those things that would have killed him. He was unwilling to kill his son. But if he hadn't killed his son, his son would have killed him. And we all need friends who are like that. Who will, who will come to you and who will say, listen, dude, I'm talking as a man. Listen, dude, that woman that you're talking to at work, things are not going, it doesn't look good. You need to kill that. Yeah, don't, don't kill her. Kill, kill the relationship. <laughs> Your marriage is more important than that. You need someone to say, you know, those financial dealings that you're involved with. There's something wrong there. You've got to kill that. You need someone who's, who's looking at your life and knows the very secrets of your heart and is willing to say the hard things because you know you're not going to get a good reception. <laughs> but you need people who love you enough to kill the things that you won't kill so that you don't die. Amen. Find those friends. Don't stop till you get them. Those ones that will tell you the truth. The ones that will have your back. The ones that will love you through thick and thin. And in addition, be one of those to someone. The last thing is that Jesus spoke to the man and he told him to get up and walk. This man, I don't know how long he hadn't walked for. I don't know what his muscles were like. Probably very spindly legs. No muscle movement there, but... When Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, it's all very glorious. But the man didn't get his breakthrough then. He didn't walk. When Jesus said to him, get up and walk, you know what? He didn't even get his breakthrough then because he was still lying on his mat. The only time he got his breakthrough is when he listened to the word of God and he acted on it and he stood up. And I don't know exactly when he was healed, but I'm telling you this. If he was healed and still lying on the mat, it wouldn't matter that he was healed because he'd still be on the mat. So the only time that the healing was obvious was when he stood up. When he heard the word of the Lord and he did what God said. Do what you could not do before. If you want a breakthrough, hear what God is calling to you and stand up and do that. And you say, I'm not ready. I don't know how to do it. I don't care. And that man didn't know how he was going to do it. He just said, okay, Jesus said it. I'm doing it. He stood up. And as he was doing it, the Holy Spirit was working on those muscles, clicking those bones back into joint. I don't know, repairing what needed to be repaired. And poof, he stood up and he walked. I don't know how to start a business. Did God tell you to start a business? <laughs> then step out and do it. God will be there with the goods. The reason you don't have the goods now is because you don't need them because you're not doing it. Has God told you to get married? 
You have to find the wife first or the husband first. But get up, go out and do it. God told you to write a book, just do it. As God told you to start a degree, just do it. The grace will be provided as you go. Matthew 28 verse 19 says that we are to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that he has commanded. Can you do that? No. But get up and do it, and the grace will be there to do it. He says, as you go, Jesus said in Matthew 10, as you go, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, cleanse the lepers, freely you've received, freely give. Can you do it? No, but just do it anyway. He will be there. The grace will be there. He will combine his power with your obedience and a miracle will happen right before you. Why? Because Acts 1.8, he promised us that the Holy Spirit would be with us. He would come upon us in power. And he would give us the goods to do what we cannot do alone. And that's what makes it God. That's what makes it glorious. Because we stand and we proclaim to the world these incredible victories. And when they say, how did you do it? You don't say, because I really am so clever. Because I'm so smart. Because I'm so strong. Because I'm so able because I study so hard. You're not going to say any of those things, although those all might be true. You're going to stand and say, no, God was with me. He poured out his grace into my obedience, and this is the result. Amen. Yeah, Yeah, give the Lord a hand. I think that deserves something because he's that good. So in, in conclusion, as we prepare for breakthrough, we are going to change our structures to facilitate him. We are going to build community, and we're going to get up and walk, do what we, what we could not do before. Lord Jesus, I just pray that you would come and fill our hearts with more of your presence, Lord God. Father God, we just trust you. We just trust you for breakthrough in every area. And, and Father God, as we hear your voice speaking to our souls, Lord God, we just stand up and we say yes. We position ourselves in love and in faith and in intimacy with you. And we, we choose to build community. We choose to change structures to facilitate your moving. And we choose to get up and do what we could not do before in response to your word. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. I just want to ask you, if you just want more of Jesus, won't you raise your hands? I want to just pray for his spirit to flood you. Lord Jesus, we we come before you hungry for you. Come and fill us again with power and might and majesty and blessings after blessings after blessings, Lord God. Reveal yourself to us. Strip away those things that stand between us. Give us the grace to pull down the structures, the habits, the ways of doing things that have stood in between us and our breakthrough. Thank you, Father. Help us to live differently to love wholeheartedly, to believe completely, and to walk absolutely in obedience to you.